welcome to Vertical Life Church. This has been an interesting series, and for no other reason other than God's been speaking to me a little differently in preparing the messages for this series. Um, just something God spoke to my heart about uh, talking about when life falls apart, simply because as believers, we often get it in our minds that if, if we do enough good, if we obey God, if we uh, don't mess up, then our lives will just go perfectly well. And, and when bad things happen, we begin to question, like, what did I do? Uh, you know, God, God, is God punishing me for something? And the reality is, is that we live in a broken world. Sin exists, and there's consequences for sin. If it's not my sin causing problems in my life, it's someone else's sin causing problems in my life. That's where issues come from. And one day, Jesus is going to return, and he's going to do away with sin, do away with our enemy, and we won't have to deal with it. But until that point, Jesus said, be of good courage. In this life, you will have many trials and sorrows, but, but be of good courage because I have overcome the world. There is a day appointed where all of this struggle is going to come to an end. But until that point, we're encouraged to be encouraged, to hold on to our faith, to hold fast to the things, the words God has spoken. And this is what this series is about. It's about drawing our attention that in those moments when it seems like everything is falling apart and we, we're losing hope, we're losing joy, we can't find pleasure in anything, what promises, what truths can we hold fast to that can carry us through those difficult seasons so that we stay in step with God leading towards blessing rather than make decisions that increase our pain. In week one, we talked about in our struggle, when life falls apart, God is leading us. He's the good shepherd. He's leading us through the difficult seasons. Week two, we talked about how God is refining us, that he doesn't just take us through pain to amuse himself. There is something that he's doing in us in that process that's refining who we presently are into who he created us to be. So not only can we arrive at that glorious destiny that he prepared before the foundation of the world, but so that we can give him the most glory with our lives. And this week we're going to talk about another truth. We've talked about... Uh, many things through this series, and this is going to kind of follow the same pattern, but this week we're going to talk about what to believe when the dream doesn't come true. What to believe when the dream doesn't come true. There are many dreams that we dream. There are many things that we dream of. We have big dreams and little dreams. Uh, for, for some, uh, there might be a dream. You might be single and you've just dreamt about the day that knight in shining armor or princess in beautiful clothes is going to walk into the door and your life is just going to be magical. It's going to be happily ever after. You know, so, someone might be here who is dreaming of being a parent where they, they haven't been able to have children or struggled with having children and they, they're long to be parents. And so there's this dream about what it would be like when that, that beautiful child is born into the world. Others, you might have a dream of, of something to do as a vocation. There, maybe you want to be the next American Idol or you, you want to be the It Is The Voice or the, whatever that is. You know, there's something in you that is dreaming about something significant, making a significant impact in the world. When we dream, it can be exciting. It can make us feel like awe and wonder. But sometimes 
when the dream doesn't come true, life can become more like a nightmare than a blessing. When, when you're trying and you're struggling and you're giving everything you have to make this dream come true, when it, when it doesn't happen, when life begins to fall apart and this dream that you've been clinging to seems to be uh, going further and further into the distance, maybe a dream that God put in your heart as a young child about serving Him or doing something with your life, when it's falling apart rather than being fulfilled, your life can feel more like a pile of shattered dreams than it can fulfilled promises. And it can be very difficult to hope, to trust, even to obey. And there are many dreams, again, that we dream not just when we're asleep. Some of the dreams when we're sleeping are very significant. I believe that you need to pay attention to your dreams. Some are just the uh, result of a bad piece of pizza that you ate the night before. You know, that wasn't a green pepper. That was a moldy piece of sausage, you know. So, you know, there, there's sometimes you have to use some judgment on what you eat before bed because that can really mess you up in the night. But, uh, but there are many dreams that are significant. God is a dreamer. God speaks through dreams. He communicates through dreams. And all through the Bible, you see how he gave dreams to people to clue them in on something to come or maybe a reality of their own heart or, 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 or something significant in their lives. We need to pay attention about those dreams. But not just those dreams, the dreams that when we think what life will be like, we feel deep down in our hearts that we're meant to do something, They're, that God created us for a specific reason. These are the dreams that... that when they don't pan out, when things go in the opposite direction, it can really make life very difficult. I've felt this way sometimes before. Uh, I've held on to different dreams before in my life. A matter of fact, dreams about the ministry. When we stepped out in faith to plant this church, and we had a team of friends, and we were together, and we thought, man, look what God's doing. This is going to be amazing. And when we started out, we were meeting in that coffee shop. Uh, it was just a, a small group of us. Uh, Nicole was popping in and out in the back. Uh, didn't really like me, I don't think, at that point. She never didn't want to talk to me, but I hunted her down, and now she's a lifer, so that's great. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, were, we were just dreaming about what could be, and many people were like, this is awesome. I just feel something significant in my life, you know, that, that God is doing something with this church. And so I dreamt and, and I believed and God would confirm those dreams through other people in significant ways. But then all of a sudden, those dreams began to turn and instead of trending toward the dream, it began to turn and go in the opposite direction. There were times where rather than gaining people or growing in attendance, we began to really drop in attendance. And rather flourishing in our finances, we began to struggle in our finances. And in those times where it looks like the dream is not happening and, and it seems like life is falling apart because everything that's supposed to be is not the way it's supposed to be, there can be exhaustion, frustration, doubt, fear, anxiety, emotional confusion. And in those moments, and I, I can just remember that my wife and I just struggling through some of those points, we just sometimes really felt like, is there a way out of this? God, if you don't, if you don't change what's happening, I don't know that we can continue walking in this way because it just felt so hard to keep going and keep trying because it felt like life was just falling apart that it was out of our control. 
And there's a, a young man in the Bible. We're going to look at just a couple passages of Scripture. Genesis 37. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. Uh, it should be notes in the YouVersion Bible app. They'll also be on the screen for you. And you can take notes in your uh, worship guide. But there's a, a young man named Joseph in the Bible who also began to dream some dreams when he was a young man. He began to dream dreams. God was giving him some pretty significant dreams. He dreamt of being a ruler and even having his family bow down to him. And it made him feel pretty good about himself. Matter of fact, it made him feel a little arrogant, a little prideful, kind of cocky. And we're going to read the account in Genesis of when he started receiving these dreams and kind of talk about his story a little bit. In Genesis 37, beginning in verse 5, it says, One night Joseph had a dream, and then he told his brothers about it. They hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and all your bundles gathered around and bowed low before mine. Imagine that. His brothers responded, So you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you're going to reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. But soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Wink, wink. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? In this culture, in the ancient Jewish culture, fathers of, the, of these families were almost considered kings of the family in their own right. It was a patriarchal society. The, the, the children looked forward not to their parents passing away, but at the moment that their parent passed, their father would pronounce a blessing on them, and God often would hold that blessing true. And so it was something of, a, of an honor to be blessed by the father on their deathbed. There was a significance in the father's looking favorably on their children because they were revered as almost kings over their family. But here, Joseph was not only eager to tell his brothers that they were going to bow down and worship him, but also now to his father. He is essentially saying, look, God's going to make me the boss, and all y'all are going to bow down and worship me. I'm going to tell y'all what to do, is basically what he was saying. And this, I believe, could have been easily dismissed by everyone as just the antics of an immature uh, teenager, because he was 17 years of age. But unfortunate for Joseph, this event made his brothers conspire against him, fake his death, throw him into a pit, and then sell him into slavery. A little extreme reaction, I think. But there was something else going on. You know, why did his brothers take his dreams so hard? Why did they have such a severe reaction? Well, there are really two reasons. The first is because of the existing environment in his home. Joseph was the firstborn son to Jacob's wife, Rachel, the only wife he had that he loved. If you look at the story of Jacob, Jacob uh, goes to his uncle's house, Laban, to kind of get away from his brother Esau because of uh, mischief in the home that he was dealing with. And when he got there, he saw Rachel. He fell instantly in love with her, so he promised Laban that he'd work for seven years to earn the right to marry Rachel. And so Laban agreed. Seven years was up. He went to get married. And in that day, you didn't really do a ceremony. You just went into a room. You consummated the marriage and you were married. But on that night, Laban switched Rachel out for Leah, her sister, because she was older. And he ended up getting married to Leah and didn't know it. And uh, he woke up the next day and he's like, oh, you're not who I thought was supposed to be here. 
and he was kind of freaking out. And so Laban said, it's not right that the older or the younger gets married before the older, so work for me another seven years, and then I'll give you Rachel. And so the man must have been really in love with this girl because he worked another seven years, won the right to marry Rachel, and then they went off to start their family. And there was a war in their home between Rachel and Leah to who could have the most children. And Rachel couldn't have kids, even though Jacob loved her more, but Leah was popping them out left and right. And so she has all these kids. And then finally, Rachel has a child, and Leah gets jealous, and so she gives uh, Jacob, her handmaiden as a wife, and then the handmaiden starts having kids for Leah, and then Rachel gives her handmaiden to Jacob, and he starts having kids through there, and it's one big Jerry Springer episode. So all this stuff's going on. But the thing about the, the family line is Jacob only loved Rachel. He was maritally connected to the others, but he was emotionally disconnected, and he made it obvious. It wasn't one of these things where you know, you kind of have a running joke in your family. Who's the favorite? Well, you're the favorite. And then the next kid comes in. No, you're really the favorite. It wasn't like that. Jacob's like, no, he's the favorite. He's the favorite. And he even proved it by making him a coat of many colors. In Genesis 37, 2 through 3, here's what the Bible says. It says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, those were the handmaidens. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. So Jacob loved Joseph the most. He wasn't shy about that. He makes him special clothes. It'd be like you taking your, your son you or daughter you love the most to the most fancy, expensive clothing store like Armani or Gucci or whatever and just spend you know, thousands of dollars on an outfit and then you take your kids to Walmart and say, pick out what you want. It's the equivalent. It's basically what he's doing. He created this environment. But not only was Joseph the favorite, which sparked jealousy in his brothers, but if you look uh, back in verse 2, it said Joseph often reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. He made a career out of tattletaling. He was a snitch. And even back in ancient times, it was a known fact that snitches get stitches. It's just the way it is. And they didn't, they didn't like him. He was arrogant. He was cocky. He was always getting them into trouble. And so in looking at the, this environment of the family, and as I was praying through this message, there's really six thoughts that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart to discuss about what about dreams and, and why maybe... Uh, they don't come true, or maybe why there's difficulty in the process of realizing your dreams. And what it seems like that when dreams are beyond our reach, or when life crushes, and it seems to be crushing our dreams uh, for this season, there are really six thoughts that I wanted to, to discuss with you. And the first it applies to the environment of the home, the environment that Joseph was in. Number one is that your attitude and your behavior often determine your environment. Your attitude and behavior in, determines your environment in your relationships, at your place of work. It, it, dreams are like plants. I, I'm not a very good uh, farmer or uh, I don't cultivate plants very well. You know, if I plant something, I forget about it and it ends up dying. So it, it's not a very good thing. But if you think of dreams are like plants, they take special attention and care. 
if you're pursuing a dream, and if the environment that you're in is not conducive for the growth of your dream, it's going to kill the plant or kill the dream. And often we are our own worst enemy. Rather than building bridges, we're burning them with the people around us. We lack of self-awareness or because of pride or immaturity. Our own attitudes and behaviors work against the purposes that God has planned for our lives. So rather than moving into position to realize our dreams, we fall into a pit. And it's the people in our lives that put us there because of the consequences of how we have behaved. Support or sabotage is determined by our character. People in your life will either support you to chase your dreams or they'll sabotage you because of brokenness in your relationships. I'm sure that Joseph, the moment his brothers threw him into the pit, he was questioning his predicament. I'm sure he was thinking, like, God, you put this dream for leadership. You told me I was going to be a king, and this doesn't really look like the pathway to leadership. This doesn't look like promotion. I mean, give me the coat of many colors back. Give me the, the, the easy life and the, the, the pampered lifestyle. That looks more like a king's life. And in this moment, he was either thinking, either God's going to deliver me, or maybe he was beginning to question his dream altogether. Like maybe God didn't really say what God said. Maybe God didn't really mean what God meant. Did I make it up? Did I misinterpret the dream? Maybe it was just last night's pizza. See, when life tends to go in the opposite direction of how we believe our dreams should play out, it does a number on our faith and our understanding of what God is doing in our lives. And the thing about Joseph is that his life goes from bad to worse. It wasn't just that his behavior and his, and his environment wasn't conducive to foster this dream and God had to pull him out of it, but his situation goes bad to worse. He goes from being in a pit where his brothers were contemplating killing him to being sold into slavery. He loses his freedom. Not really the process of becoming a king. And as a slave, he's working in Potiphar's household. He is um, propositioned by Potiphar's wife. He escapes the moment, but then he's falsely accused. And because of that accusation, he's then thrown in jail to rot in prison. One bad situation to the next. And even after God uses Joseph in the prison to interpret dreams of two Pharaoh's servants, the butler and the baker, it's another two years before the cupbearer remembers Joseph in jail and brings him out before Pharaoh to minister to Pharaoh because of a troubling dream that Pharaoh had. There are many years of struggle and pain before Joseph's dream was able to come to pass. And often, the pathway is determined by our attitude and our behavior. If we're arrogant, we're prideful, and we're cocky, the Bible says that pride goes before destruction, that the arrogant will be brought down. So if we want to realize our dreams, it takes humility before the Lord to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Not only did his environment affect his dream, but there's often a difference between number two, our dream, versus God's vision. There's often a difference between our dream and God's vision. Joseph thought he was going to be the big chief who got to boss around everyone. He thought he was going to be in charge, the king, the king that everyone would bow to. But he wasn't promoted to be a king. He was promoted to be number two, second in command. And his commission wasn't to boss everyone around, even though he could do that. His commission by God was to save the world. 
His commission by God was to provide food during a terrible seven-year famine so not only Egypt, but even his own family could survive. Joseph would not have been mature enough to handle the responsibility of being a king at 17. As we talked about last week, God had to take him through a process of refining to prepare him for what was to come. But even in that, the fulfillment of God's dream wasn't what Joseph originally pictured. And the thing is, is that God's timing is perfect. In this country, in this day and age, we rush for everything, right? We, we rush for everything. We have fast cars. We even talk about traffic at a certain time during the day as rush hour, like everyone's in a hurry trying to get home from work. We have fast food, fast cash, everything we want. We want it here, and we want it now. And so when the dream that God places in our heart takes a little longer to come to fulfillment than what we desire, we begin to panic and we begin to fall apart. But the thing is, in Joseph's story, is God knew the famine wouldn't be for another 10 or so years from the moment he gave him the dream to begin with. God knew when he was going to need it. And so he began giving him the dream at an early age as a, as a catalyst to begin preparing him for the moment that he would arrive to the palace. He was humbled in the pit, which led him to be promoted to Potiphar's household even as a slave, and he was promoted in the jail. As you look at Joseph's life, as you see what God was doing from the pit to the palace, you see that every moment he was um, teaching him how to be a leader. He was cultivating leadership characteristics in his life, and he became a leader even as a slave. He became a leader even as a prisoner. And so the point when he arrived to the palace, he was ready for that position. And often the process doesn't look like what we think the process should look like. But everywhere Joseph was, God was with him, teaching him how to become the, one of the greatest leaders in the, in the nation of Israel and even in the land of Egypt. And so often our dream doesn't match God's vision. We think of how things should be. We plan it out. We have all the steps. We have our five-year, 10-year plan. We know in 20 years, here's where we're going to be and here's where we're going to get there. But God may have a different route. Because God's timing is perfect, and God knows exactly what we need to become who he created us to be. Number three, if life isn't turning out like you pictured, you might need a new lens. If life isn't turning out how you pictured, you might need a new lens. Again, Joseph thought he was going to be the boss, but God had other plans. God was using Joseph to be a savior, not a dictator. And not just of Egypt, but his entire family. So God needed Joseph to be in a place spiritually and emotionally where he could handle what was going to be asked of him when the time came. God needed him to be the man who was ready for the job when that job came about. And what can keep us from, discourage, or from discouragement when life falls apart is that in those seasons, those difficult seasons, when the dream is not coming, it seems afar off, it seems like we're in a period of struggle and breakthrough hasn't come yet, what can help us keep from discouragement is to seek the Lord for insight on what He wills, on what God is doing. And what God wants from us in the moment. Often we miss that. We, we just look at the struggle and we're like, God, God, get me through this. Or God, what are you doing? But we don't stop and ask God, God, what are you doing in me in this process? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to teach me? What do you want to cultivate in me as I go through this season of trial on the way to become who you created me to be? 
A simple shift from how we have it all planned out to seeing our dream through God's eyes can make the difference between discouragement and determination to hold on until breakthrough. And how we experience life is often determined how we perceive life. If we perceive life like God is leading us, like God is refining us in the midst of our struggle, then the time between the dream and the reality of the dream will not shake us. Number four, between the promise and the platform is the process. Between the promise and the platform is the process. Chris Volatin says it like this, between the promise and the palace is the process. There's just this understanding that between God giving you the vision and the reality of that fulfillment, there is a process that we have to go through. Life is not like a digital image that's perfected in a moment. Isn't it amazing what cameras and what phones, cell phones can do today? I mean, why does the iPhone, the new iPhone, need three cameras in it? Like, it's got three different lenses. What? I don't understand why that's a need. I just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Wide lens, short lens. I'm sorry, I want the skinny lens, and that's all I want. I want the skinny one, you know. But there's an app for that. So even if you take a wide lens, you can shrink yourself down with all these different apps. But the phones do all these crazy things. And today, to get a professional photo that, that looks like you spent a bunch of money on it, you just click a button and run it through your app, and there it is. Right? It's instantaneous. But life is not like an image or a digital image perfected in an instant. It's like the old-fashioned film that you have to take through a process, through a series of chemical reactions. Younger generations don't really appreciate what we had to go through not that long ago whenever you would go on vacation and you had your disposable camera. You know, you're a click, 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 click. Oh, this one's done. Let me get the next one out, you know. And you got like five disposable cameras on your fanny pack or in your fanny pack, you know. You know, they don't appreciate that. And then what happens after the vacation? You take the film to the store. You have them develop it. And you wait for that phone call so many days later. And then when they invented one-hour photo, that was revolutionary. It's like you could pay a little extra and get it done in an hour. Like, yes, let's do that. Total ripoff, you know, but, you know, it was very convenient. But that's how life is like. It is like the process where you take the film into the dark room. You take the experiences into the dark room. And in that place of darkness... God takes you through a process, and in the process, over time, creates a beautiful image that you want to frame and hang on your wall, and that you look back for generations. You say, look at that moment. That was our moment. That was a moment we'll never forget. That's what life is like, and maybe the reason you've not realized your dream yet, the way you've dreamed it, is because you're still in the process. You're still in that dark room, and you've gone from this sink to now this sink, and God is moving you, just like Joseph went from a pit to enslavement, from enslavement to imprisonment. There, there's still a process that God is doing, but before long, you're going to see the breakthrough, but you have to get through the process. God is still teaching you and leading you to become the person you need to be to be ready for the position God has ordained for you. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are God's masterpiece. That, that word in the original Greek is poema. It's where we get poem. It's a, it's a work of art. It's creativity. But he said we're God's creative work of art. We're a poem that he's created so that we can fulfill the work that he um, purposed for us before the foundation of the world. 
Every person alive has a purpose of God. It's a purpose to bring out beauty and creativity, to reveal the glory of God in this world. And to get to that place where you're magnifying the maximum beauty you can, it takes through a process. A poem doesn't write uh, an award-winning poem in one shot. And often it takes rewrites and reworking to get to that, that, that end result. Again, you know, if you're waiting for a godly spouse or you're waiting to become a parent, maybe God is waiting to get you through a process so that you're emotionally and spiritually ready to be the right wife or the right husband that you need to be uh, in that moment. Or maybe as a parent, you've not received children yet because God's vision for your family is a little different than maybe what you have in mind, and God's working in you and through you so at the right time, He can bring the family that He has chosen for you. I'm reminded of a movie we watched here recently called Instant Family with Mark Wahlberg. Anybody seen that movie? Have seen? I don't say that. Seen? I don't know. It's, it's a pet peeve of mine. I don't, I, people in Michigan say, I seen it. Have you heard that? I seen it. That is the worst English you can use. It's not I seen it. It's I have seen. You know, so and I just said that and I don't know what's going on. I rebuke you, devil, in Jesus' name. So... Anyway, they, uh, the, uh, the movie Instant Family, it's Mark Wahlberg and his wife, they flip houses. They're like a TLC-type family. They buy houses and renovate them, and they don't have any kids, and they're, they're getting griefed by their relatives about not having any kids. So they think, well, you know, maybe we'll foster some kids. It'll be a good thing. We'll provide them a good home, and, and we'll just renovate them like we do uh, homes. It'll be a piece of cake. And so they invite this family, the, these three kids in, and it seems like everything's perfect. And, and then all of a sudden, life breaks down. It, it's not the picture-perfect life that they imagined or they dreamed, and the truth begins to set in that maybe these kids were more than we could handle, and it's not long that they're in bed discussing, how are we going to get rid of these kids? You know, how are we going to just get, let's just get rid of them? You know, they don't end up doing that, but the, the thing is, is that we dream, when we're dreaming dreams, or even when God puts a dream in our heart, like I remember getting a dream about being in ministry when I was young, what I dreamt is not what it is today, but today is so much better. The reality is often different than the fantasy. But the reality is always so much sweeter. You know, we can fantasize about what this dream will look like, but the reality is often different. But if we stick through the process, we'll recognize that the reality is so much sweeter than the fantasy. You see, dreams point you to the direction of the process that God wants to take you through, that process where your dreams can become reality. Number five, when it seems you're going from bad to worse, hold on. The breakthrough moment is on the horizon because the dark is often darkest before the dawn. When things seem to be going from bad to worse, hold on, because the dark is often darkest before the dawn. You see, the enemy's goal, we have an enemy. You believe that? We have a real enemy. Hey, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the enemy exists to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what, God, that's what God tells us that Satan wants to do. He wants to make you quit. If you quit the process, you'll never get to the platform. You'll never get to the place God wants for you. If you quit the pursuit, if you give up hope, if you quit the process, you won't become who God created you to be and the enemy wins. But often, just before breakthrough comes, life gets harder and more difficult. There was a time in the Apostle Paul's life where he was pleading to God for help. 
He wanted healing. He wanted deliverance or breakthrough in a certain area in his life. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, he writes this, Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Whatever this thorn in the flesh was, he begged God to take it away. Verse 9, it says, Each time he said, My grace is all you need, for my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. Paul is crying out for deliverance, but God said it's my grace that's going to sustain you. It'll be sufficient. And so in that moment, that created a shift, a breakthrough moment in his heart as he stopped looking at his suffering as a bad thing and started looking at his suffering as the process that God was going to reveal his glory and bring him to the place that he needed to be. Paul had to shift his mindset about his suffering from something he was abhorring to something he could celebrate because he knew God was working through it. And that's one of the things that catches us, catches me in, in off guard is I often just want to sit in my misery. I just want to sit there. But if we would shift from sitting in misery to worshiping in, in the struggle, we would realize that God can do a shift in our heart too. And the reality is we can see God in the most obvious ways when we're in our weakest. Why? Because we can't do anything. We can't bring about a breakthrough. We can't bring change, but God can. And when we start seeing God move, we know it's Him. Often in the Old Testament, I, I'm reading through the, the prophets right now, and many times the, God is telling the nation of Israel, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and then this is going to happen, and when it does, you will know that I am the Lord. You will know that I am the Lord. And often, God brings us to our weakest, lets us get to our weakest state, so that when He moves, we know He is the Lord. Lord of heaven and earth. Paul was encouraged in the midst of his struggle, and he shifted his focus from weakness and failure to faith in the God who can do the impossible. And if we remain faithful to Jesus and don't give up, we surrender to the Lord and remain faithful, it will position ourselves for the promotion out of the pit and onto the platform. And often that platform that God puts us on is often higher than what we originally dreamed. God always does bigger and better. If you look at the Old Testament, when the first temple was destroyed, it was rebuilt in a bigger way. Every time God restores, it's always restored to better than it was before. God is the God of bigger and better. And here's the thing about Joseph. Joseph, when he dreamed, Joseph knew he would rule. But he did not know he was going to rule Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at the time. Before the pit... Joseph had zero relationship with his brothers. He was disconnected from his family. They wanted him dead. But after the pit, when he was on the platform, they embraced his loved ones, and they shared a meal together, crying out about the goodness of God, what God had done. You see, God is a giver. He's a giver. He's a good giver. And he often gives us more than we deserve, but he is also not afraid to take away what is hurting you in order to give you what will help you. Sometimes what is hurting us feels really good. But what will help us doesn't feel so good. So when struggles come and our dreams seem so far away, we can believe with all of our heart this simple truth. And this is the point of this message today. When life falls apart, we need to remember that God is faithful. 
When life falls apart, God is faithful. Somebody say, God is faithful. God is faithful, which means if he spoke it, it will come to pass. It just might not be on your timing. It might not look the way you thought it should look. It might not feel the way you thought it would feel, but it will come to pass. The breakthrough will come. Philippians 1.6, Paul writes this to the church of Philippi, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God always finishes what he starts. He never leaves anything unfinished. He's not like me. He's not a procrastinator where I start something and and put it away for a minute and then forget to go back to it. He finishes what he starts. It's always in his mind. God will always finish what he starts. If he gave you a dream, he's going to raise you up to realize that dream in due season. If he puts something in your heart, if he called you out for a specific purpose, he will see it through. The last thought today, number six. What are you striving for that you need to surrender more? What are you striving for that you need to surrender more? Maybe the dream you're striving for is actually not God's dream for you. Maybe you're striving for something that is in the opposite direction of what God wants to do. We are, like Isaiah said, sheep who've gone astray. Often we go our own way. Maybe God's called you to something, but because you're so fixated on one area in your life that you're actually going in the opposite direction, or maybe you're so afraid of the implications of that call, you're running from God rather than to Him. We can actually be working against the true dreams of our hearts, the things that God has created us for, that God put in us by design, by trying to force a different dream to happen. In James chapter 4, verse 3, James writes this. He says, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Another translation says, you won't get it because all you want to do is consume it on your lust. That it has nothing to do with God's will. It has nothing to do with giving God glory. It has to do with your selfish and self-centered nature. You see, when I felt called to ministry, it was actually in the eighth grade. I remember a revivalist came to our, our church, and I wasn't really honoring God at that moment, but in this revival meeting, I remember at the, the time of response at the end, the altar call, he's giving the, the response. I don't even remember what he's saying. I just remember my head was down, and then I looked up for some reason, and the guy was staring right at me, and he said, you know you need to do what you need to do, and I knew God was calling me into the ministry. But I didn't want to preach because I was afraid of public speaking. I didn't want to be in a church because my parents were in ministry, and I knew a lot of the struggle that uh, was involved with that. So I surrendered to what I wanted to do, which was be a musician. So I went forward, and I surrendered to the full-time music ministry, whatever that was going to be. That's what I surrendered to. God had other plans, but that's what I chose. And what did I do from that point on with my life? I started writing songs. I started playing in bands. I started pursuing being a famous Christian musician, musician because that's what I was dreaming for. That's what I wanted. But God had to take me out of what I was pursuing to lead me to fulfill the, his purposes for my life. And I'm so glad he did because I believe I'm doing the very thing I was created to do. I get to spend my life discovering who he is. Helping other people do the same thing. I get to spend my life discovering how much he loves me and helping other people 
discover the same thing. That you are wildly and desperately loved by your Father who wants more good for you than you could possibly imagine. If I still pursued my dream, I would not have discovered God's dream for me. And I would have been met with a lifetime of discouragement and regret. Joseph approached his dreams from the wrong attitude, the wrong point of view. He thought he was going to be a number one, but instead, well, through his arrogance, he thought he was going to be a number one. But in that state, Joseph would not have become a savior. He would have become a tyrant. He would have become a tyrant. And God didn't purpose him to be a number one, but a very powerful and influential number two. The Bible records that he was so influential that it was many years until Egypt forgot Joseph. His legacy went on even beyond his life. And some of you here today, maybe you're striving to be a number one, but God has a number two position for you that will be infinitely more effective and infinitely greater that your option A is not what he wants, but there's an option B that is just for you. And you need to shift your focus to see from God's perspective, which may be all you need to do for those doors to begin to open for the breakthrough to come. Maybe you're pursuing the wrong thing, or maybe just the attitude that you've had is all wrong. It's not about what God wants for you, but, or what God wants to accomplish in this, but it's really about what you've wanted for you. And so you're trying to manage and control your life, your situation, so it pleases your selfish desires. And the end of that type of pursuit is often discouragement, even miserable failure. I've had to learn in many areas in my life, especially in the ministry, if I make this about me, other than the glory of Jesus Christ, then it's up to my own strength and my cleverness to see it succeed. And my strength and my cleverness don't go very far. But when I surrender my desires for what God desires for me, I find the strength and the favor for success. And the thing is, is I don't have to do anything but be faithful where I am. And God does it for me. He fights my battles for me. See, the definition of success is not determined by my opinions or my selfish desires, but by God's perfect will and plan for my life. That's success. If we can get the music to play as we begin to draw this to a close and invite our prayer team to come forward. The question I have for you, church, is what dream are you holding on to that you need to surrender to God? What are you clinging to? What are you holding on to that you need to surrender? What do you need to lay at the Father's feet and trust the one who is ever faithful to work his perfect will out in your life? What's getting in the way of who God wants you to be and what God wants you to be doing? From giving God the good so he can bless you with the best. Church, the day is not getting brighter, it's getting darker. You read the newspaper, listen to what's going on in the world, we're losing influence. The time for us to get serious about our faith, to pursue God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is now. It's not tomorrow. It's time to surrender our lives to the Lord. It's to, time to discover that actually giving up good things that are getting in the way of what God wants actually opens the door for God to lead us into greater things. So we're going to go into a time of prayer and a time of response. If you're ready to let our faithful God take you through the process that will lead you out of the pit, and onto the platform. In just a moment, 
after we pray, I'm going to invite you to come forward and pray. Kneel down on these front rows of seats. There's nothing magical about the seats, but there is something symbolic as taking a step and laying yourself down before the Lord. And maybe just that first step will begin the process to take you out of the prison and into the platform to bring breakthrough into your life. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever shattered dream has been bringing discouragement, whatever situation is going on, maybe it's just as simple as you've actually never asked God what he wants for your life. It's been your decision, your plan, your five-year goal, but you've never stopped and said, God, I'm your child. I want to give you my life. What is it that you want for me? And take a moment to pray and just ask the Lord, speak to me, reveal, give me a vision, a dream, give me something in my heart, give me a word of encouragement, give me a, a, a word from you today that will begin cluing me into your purpose for my life. Whatever the Spirit is speaking to your heart for the next few moments, when I get through praying, I'm going to invite you to respond to the Lord. We also have a microphone down here. If God has been working in your life and you have a testimony to share, maybe you've had a breakthrough moment and you want to encourage the church, I invite you to, to come down and share a testimony because in testimonies inspire faith in other people. They're important. From the small to the great, no testimony is insignificant. We want to encourage each other to still pursue the Lord, that God can still work miracles. And so we encourage you to come down and share. But whatever the Spirit speaks to your heart for the next few moments, we're going to invite you to come forward and pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us. Thank you for these thoughts, these reminders. God, thank you for your word and the, just the life of Joseph and how through his life we can look and see how you work, how you move, what you do, how we can receive encouragement for difficult times, for struggles and for trials. God, we need bold faith the willingness to take a risk. If you're going to do miracles in us and through us, God, we need to not be afraid, but to trust wholly in Jesus and the power of his resurrection. So God, forgive us. We plead the blood of Christ over our lives where we've been pursuing our own plans and not yours, where we've not recognized you and acknowledged you, where we have just spent time wallowing in our pits rather than looking to you to lead us to the platform. God, for the one here maybe that doesn't know you, that's never began a relationship with Jesus, who doesn't know that their sins can be forgiven and what life can be like when they begin a relationship with the God of the universe who created them, Lord. And what life is like when the Holy Spirit comes in and breathes new life where they become born again and are filled with the peace of God and the hope of God and the joy of God. God, I pray that they would come. Holy Spirit, just do your work as we go into this time of ministry. I just pray this in Jesus' name.